Thank you for listening to the Renovation Church podcast. We're a family that believes you matter, and together we can do something that matters. We hope that this podcast aids you in your spiritual journey toward Jesus. If we can serve you on that journey, please let us know by visiting our website, renovationchurch.com. We always love to hear how the ministry of renovation is impacting your life. The best way to let us know is by leaving a review or tagging us on social media. Wherever you are in the world, know that Jesus loves you and we love you. Enjoy the podcast. Amen. Thank you for that. I want that to be a thing that happens at some point in the life of our church. Today we're going to talk about uh, faith. We're going to talk about the importance of faith. We're going to talk about what it means to be a Christian. And I'm going to challenge you, particularly those of you who say that you're followers of the way of Jesus, that um, you need to be sure of that, that there's an assurance that we can have to the faith that we say we have. And I'm going to start this way. In the fall of 2004, uh, I was visiting my parents at their new home just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. It was a a, a very strange decision they made. I know they're watching right now. What's up, y'all? There's a very strange decision they made. They were visiting my brother in New York, my late brother, uh, uh, and uh, he was graduating from Cornell University. And they just decided, driving through the mountains of Chattanooga, that they were going to retire there. And so I was visiting their new home there in 2004. And, and I was there for one reason, really, and that was to drop off my dog, Titus. I was getting ready to report for camp. I couldn't take Titus to camp, the little boxer that I had had since he was a pup. And, uh, and he loved going to their house, so I was dropping him off so that he would be taken care of. And, and that weekend, while I was there, when Sunday came, they went to church. That's what they did, and I went with them. And that day, that little church had a massive choir leading worship visiting choir from a local university. And as they were worshiping, uh, I found myself entranced. I, I found myself staring at an alto on the top of the platform on the right side. She had on a black pantsuit, a blue shirt that matched her blue eyes and her big smile. And I said, my God, the Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I want. It wasn't a creepy stare. It was just, you know, a an enchanted stare, a rom-com stare. And when I caught myself, I said, okay, that's a problem. It's not inappropriate. But I left that day believing that I would probably never see that person ever again. Well, years later, as I was beginning to transition into vocational ministry, I took a role as a volunteer college pastor at that same church Uh, where my parents had been attending all of those years when I first visited their new home. And one day, to my absolute delight, the alto wandered into our college ministry. The same girl that I'd been staring at at church years before had come to be a part of the work that we were doing. Her name was Brianna. She began serving on the worship team. We became ministry partners and then associates and soon friends. And, and as I was trying to elevate myself from the friend zone, for some reason, uh, she thought that I was interested in her friend. And so she was trying to play it cool. And I was like, now nah, you know what time it is, and I know what time it is. I'm not worried about that girl over there. I'm talking about you, right? And so we became friends. Special friends. In May of that year, we began what we called a courtship. In September, we were married and are engaged. In December, we were married. In February, she was pregnant with our oldest child. And, And I share that with you because in one year's time, 
in one year's time, having only stared at this person in a moment, dreaming about the possibilities of, of what could be, in one year's time, my life changed dramatically. My life was never the same again. You could say it this way. My old life was gone and a new life had begun. I'd had an encounter, I'd had a moment, I'd had an engagement that turned into a relationship, that turned into a transformation of the nature of my life, and it was never the same again. Now, if you are a Bible person, you're already ahead of me, aren't you? Because you know where I'm going. That when we become followers of the way of Jesus, when we become Christians, that a new life is supposed to begin. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this, that those who become Christians are what? New persons. They are new persons. They're not the same anymore. Their old life is gone. A new life has begun. When we come to follow the way of Jesus, don't hush them babies. These grown folk ain't talking to me. Let them talk. When we come to follow the way of Jesus, we become new creations. We become new people. We become, our old life is gone. And the reason I share the story about the, the interaction between my wife and I is because as rewarding and as exciting as a new relationship is, and for those of us who've been married for a while, then you understand, like, those early days, they were wild, weren't they? They were, they were exciting. They were full of different kind of drama. You didn't know what was going to happen, but you didn't want to leave, right? It, it's incredible. It's exciting when a new relationship starts. But the most rewarding relationship of all time, of any kind, is a relationship with the living God. And that's what it means to become a Christian. That's what Scripture says. That to become a Christian means that you enter a relationship with the living God. And in entering that relationship, just like I became a brand new person, I went from single and wearing velour suits and Timberlands. Yeah, that's right. Hey, it was the early 2000s. Don't judge me. All right. To being married and having increasingly smaller pants year over year. Uh, and not my choice. A new life has begun. There are differences. There are changes. They are noticeable. And that is the same thing. We become new persons with a new life when we become Christians. And Christians, listen, despite popular belief, Christians are not just nice people or good people. Christians are, are, are in, in fact, I can tell you that I know some, some people who are not followers of the way of Jesus who are far nicer than many Christians I know. So it's not about being nice people. It's about being changed people. In fact, I've had some people tell me in that same vein that, you know, maybe we're all basically Christians, right? By virtue of being born in a quote-unquote Christian nation. But I will tell you this, that being born in a Christianized, semi-Christianized nation makes you no more a Christian than being born in a garage makes you a car or being born in T.I.'s house makes you a rapper. Proximity is not transformation. So what is a Christian? 
A Christian is someone who follows Jesus, who puts their faith in Jesus, who practices the way of Jesus, who looks like Jesus, talks like Jesus, moves like Jesus. And the way that we become Christians, well, it's varied, isn't it? It's varied. For some people, like me, for instance, I can pin it down. May 1998. Before that, I was not a Christian. I was far from God. Even though my parents semi-regularly took us to church, I was far from God until that day. And then I became a Christian, and I've been a Christian ever since. Some of you, like my wife, you've been Christians as long as you can remember. You want to hear an awesome testimony? My wife told me I became a Christian when I was four. Is that right? I was praying down at the altar. I said, you was at the altar at four? She said, I was at the altar at four. I said, tell them how the Lord works. Right? She said, I prayed to the Lord at age four. I received Jesus, and he told me I was going to marry a pastor at age four. And I said, bless God. I have arrived. Right? And that's what I hope for my children, that they, they will look back and they will really think to themselves, I've never really known a day when I wasn't a Christian. And then for others of us, you don't know when you became a Christian. You just did. You couldn't tell exactly when it happened. You can't pin it down. You don't know if it was in the beginning, in the middle, or or, or toward the latter stages of the part of life that you're in right now. And C.S. Lewis has a great analogy for that. He says that if you're on a train from Paris to Berlin, some people know the exact moment they crossed the border. Other people might have been asleep, and they don't know when they crossed the border. But what matters is that you know you are in Berlin. And what matters, the whole point of today, is that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you are indeed a child of God. Or you know that you're not. And you have the opportunity today to become one. In fact, ensuring you're a Christian, if that's what you desire, is incredibly important. Especially in a nation And a time where Christian is now associated with everything from political affiliation to proper etiquette. Even the word evangelical has lost Christian root and meaning. And so to know that we know that we know is vital. And so I say to you, for those of you who profess to follow Jesus, whether you're in the room or there are renovation online. For those of you who profess to follow Jesus, are you assured? Do you walk in assurance? Do you know that you know that you know? In fact, if you're joining us for Renovation Online, if you believe you're assured, drop assured in the chat in Jesus' name. And if you're sitting in the room and you just want to do something funny and weird, you can jump on there too. In fact, becoming a Christian is put like this in John's Gospel. John 1.12 says, to all who received him, that is, to all who received Jesus, to those who believed, in other words, to those who had faith, In his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What John is saying in those few words is that to enter relationship with God is to enter the closest possible intimate relationship of love. It's like a child and a parent. There are other places in the scriptures where Jesus calls himself our friend. There are other places in the scriptures where Jesus compares his relationship with the whole church to that of a husband and a wife. It is that close. It is an intimate relationship. And it's a relationship so intimate that you should know for sure that you are in it. In fact, comparatively, if you're married... Let's be careful here. If you're married, you know you're married, right? You know you're married. You know you're married. If you don't know, well, God bless you. You know you're married. 
and becoming a Christian again is something that we can know for sure. God wants us to be sure of it. In fact, again, to John in 1 John 5, 13, he says, I write these things to you. Who what? Believe. It's not up there. Who what? Because I was like, they better, no, I just gave them a chance to step into the window. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. There it is. So that you may have eternal life. And so that you may what? Know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that you have eternal life. So God wants you to be sure. But being sure requires the gift of faith. And with that faith, you can have total assurance that you are not only in relationship with God, but that you have eternal life. But the question that you might be asking is, what is faith? What is faith? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is faith actually? Here's a short definition. Faith is a confidence and an assurance that God is who he says he is and that he did what he said he would do. And that by what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection, you have entered a new status of existence, transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And that you have an assurance. You have an assurance. Listen, I need to say this to somebody today. You can be sure. You're not sure right now. You're not, but you can be. You can be. And in fact... The assurance that we have is based on things that we can see and experience. It's based on evidence. It's based on facts, not just feelings. Why? Because feelings can't be trusted. The host culture tells you, follow your heart. Follow your heart. The Bible tells you what? Your heart is wicked above all things. You can't trust your own heart. There's nobody in the world that lies to you better than you. So we don't follow our heart. It's not based in feelings. It's based in facts. It's based in evidence. And in fact, there are three things upon which we can rest our assurance, and all of them is essential. Number one, the word of God. Number two, the work of Jesus. And number three, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is one of them good old Baptist churches or maybe a Pentecostal church. I would go, the word of God. And the work of Jesus. And the witness of the Holy Ghost. See, that's, but, but I can't do that because y'all want me to be a professor. So let me get back behind my table. Each of them is essential to the assurance that we have. The first is the word of God. Our assurance can rest on the word of God. Our assurance can rest on the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is based in facts, not fiction, not imagination, not feelings. In fact, we talked about this in week one. We talked about it again a little bit last time we were together, that the Bible is the most reliable text we have in the world, more reliable than anything that you read in any literary course that you took in English. We have more reliable copies of the Bible than any other book that ever existed. 
And we're going to talk more about the Bible in the coming weeks and, and about the vitality of excuse me, of the Bible and the need of the Bible and the power of the Bible. And I have an incredible story I can't wait to share with you guys. But, but suffice it to say that the word of God is a trustworthy bit of evidence upon which our assurance can rest. It's fact. And facts always remain facts. In fact, about these facts. Let me use the analogy from earlier about marriage. If you ask me, if you were to ask me, how do you know that you're married? Well, I might say to you, because I no longer get to dictate my bedtime. But that's only one reason. You know what I'm talking about. I'm going to bed means we going to bed. <laughs> Listen, if you're still single, you keep enjoying them late nights the way you want to. But how do I know I'm married? Well, I can point to a bit of evidence, a document. This is my real marriage certificate. And it says, this certifies that Leonce Bernard Crump Jr. and Brianna Marie Boyd were united by Kevin E. Wallace, minister, in the holy bonds of matrimony. I have a document that is evidence that I am married. And if you ask me, well, how do you know you're a Christian? How do you know you're a Christian? I will point to a document. I would point to an ancient document that has never changed, that has never weathered, that has never gone away. Even when popular atheists in the 18th century said that Christianity will be dead inside of 100 years, now his home is home to the Bible Society. I can point to a document, the Word of God. The Word of God. And the reason why the Word of God is so important is because it is integral to our faith. Romans 10, 17 says this, that faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. Now maybe you've experienced his words over these first couple of weeks through your Alpha Small group or during our spiritual series. Maybe you come here or you go there and, and, and you hear faith being extrapolated through the word of God. And you think to yourself, yeah, I'm beginning to have a little faith. Or for those of us who would say we're followers of the way of Jesus, my faith is being strengthened. My faith is being encouraged. My faith is being bolstered. My faith is growing. Why? Because the word of God produces that. Another way you can do it is just by getting into your Bible. I mean, <laughs> read your Bible. Read your Bible. If you're a Christian, read your Bible. Okay? If you're not a Christian, I dare you to read a Bible. Because here's the reality. That the longer you read the Bible, it eventually starts to read you. And begins to pull back layers of your heart that you didn't even know were there. The Word of God is the way that we interact with God. God speaks through the Bible. God talks through the Bible. God is telling his story through the Bible. And when we get into his word, we find the many, many places that the assurance of our faith rests. In fact, uh, for an example, there's a verse, a promise really, which comes toward the end of the New Testament. It's a very famous verse in the book of Revelation. Okay, let's say that together. Revelation. Shun. There is no S. Okay? 
I don't know who I'm talking to today, but you know who you are. Revelations is not a book in the Bible. Revelation is. Okay? Revelation 3, 20. Jesus says this, here I am. I stand at the door and I, I knock. And if someone hears, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, I will eat with that person and they with me. That's one of the assurances from the word of God. In fact, you may have seen a video circulating online or on social media. Uh, from this last week, it was New Orleans Saints linebacker uh, Demario Davis quoting this verse at a press conference. It was incredibly powerful. He came up to the podium and he said, I know y'all expected me to talk about football today, but today is the Lord's day when many of us should be in church worshiping God and instead we football players are being worshiped. He went on to extrapolate a little bit from this verse and, and to tell a story of his daughter's struggles and triumphs with recent seizures and, and said how this verse was an answered prayer for him during a difficult time. And then he began to evangelize a little bit. He said, if you listened for that knock and that answer, if you listen for it, anybody, it doesn't matter if you're a part of this press corps or anywhere else in the nation, if you listen for the knock and you answer, Jesus will come in and he will do more than you could ever think, ask, or dream. Demario understands what the verse is saying. Imagine your life as a house. Imagine your life as a house and, and Jesus is knocking at the door of your life. And he's saying, here I am. I'm standing on the front porch. I want to come in. I want to come in. I want to be a part of your life. I want to come in and eat with you. Why did he choose that analogy of eating with him? Because eating together is a sign of friendship. And effectively, Jesus is saying, I want to be your friend. If you will let me in, I will come in and I will be your friend. And it will be a relationship like none you've ever had. And it will go on for eternity. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to be a friend of Jesus. And Jesus says that he wants to be our friend, but he's not going to force his way into your life. He's not going to kick the door down. But the promise is that if you let him in, he'll never leave you or forsake you. That is what the word of God tells us. So that's the first basis of our assurance, the word of God. The second is the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus. When Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out in, in what is translated as a Greek word, he cried out tetelestai, meaning it is finished. It is done. It is not to be done. It has already taken place. There was an event. He put a nail in the coffin. He put a period on the sentence. He crossed every T and dotted every I. It is already completed. My God. Y'all don't cry out the baby's will. If you ask me how I know I'm married, I can point to the evidence, my marriage certificate, 
But I can also point to an event, an alcoholist event, because of the denomination we were a part of, that took place in a little town called Ultiwa, Tennessee. That's right, Tennessee. Uriwa, Tennessee. There was an event. It was a Thursday night event. For those of you who are soon or future to be married, if you hold your wedding on a Thursday night, you keep away the riffraff. Okay? You have a Saturday evening wedding, anybody's likely to show up. Thursday night, it's only the people that you actually want there. Because nobody who does not actually love you is coming out on a Thursday night for a wedding. That's free game. Take it to the bank. There was an event that took place that announced that my life had changed. You with me? And, 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 and if you ask me how I know I'm a Christian, I would tell you that there was an event. Not just the evidence of the word of God, but there was an event in history. The life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There was an event. And in that event, he said, it is done. And his being done means there's nothing for you to do except believe that it is done. You know, I've had people say to me, I, I, I will be a Christian, but I got to get myself together. I got to get my life right. You know what I always respond? I'm barely together right now. You see, the reality is that becoming a Christian has nothing to do with what you do. It is not based on your achievement. It is not based on your ability. It is not based on your spotless record. It is not based on your capacity. It is not based on anything that you can bring to the equation. All you bring to the equation is whatever version of you you are that day and say, God, do with me what you will. I want to be brand new. It's done. The work is done. It's already been achieved. And as we said last time, it is a free gift of forgiveness that you receive by virtue of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It is a reversal of death in that free gift. In fact, Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but what? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know what you... Think to yourself when you hear the words free gift, but I got to be honest, I'm a little suspicious. I'm a suspicious person by nature. So whenever I see something that's free, I think, what's the hook? What's the catch? Right? Any other fishermen in the house? Any fishermen besides me? There we go. We got one. We got two. All right. You know how you do it. You throw that thing out there and what you do? You just reel it real slow. You reel it. You reel it. You wait till they come by. They go, pop, pop, pop. And you're like, oh, no, not yet. Not yet. Toying with me. But when you feel that pull, you set the hook. And that's how we often see free stuff. Like they're going to get me and then they're going to set the hook and they're going to drag me somewhere I don't want to go. <laughs> right? There's a suspicion in us to the idea of free. And yet that is what God offers us, a free gift. You know, um, last year, the lead team was talking through ways that we could just bless our community, our surrounding community. Nothing extravagant. Just a little something to, to show people some unexpected kindness. And Pastor Doug, ever the idea guy, uh, he's on vacation right now enjoying himself on a boat. So let's all be bitter together that we're here and he's there. 
If you're watching right now, I'm very upset. Have fun, buddy. So he came up, that's for coffee. It's a part of the story. So he came up with this idea that we would go to a local coffee shop and we would buy everybody's coffee. And we just spent several hours there. He'd buy coffee. So we mobilized him. He went and he did that. And to his surprise and mine, all day long, people were suspicious about the offer of free coffee. In fact, one person said, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And this is going to hurt you. If, if you're a Christian at all, this is going to hurt you. It doesn't make sense to me that any person, especially a church, would want to just give me something for free. And there was one brother that outright turned Doug down and said, no, I will not allow you to pay for my coffee because there must be a catch. He could not fathom a free gift. And I share that with you because I really do believe that that is kind of the societal modus operandi. We all kind of sit in a little bit of that space of suspicion. Even those of us who say we are followers of Jesus, there are corners of our heart where we still say, but what else do you want from me? There's got to be something more. It can't be this good for free. There's got to be something more that you're asking for. But no, 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 no. No, God said it's free. Listen, it wasn't cheap. But it was free. And it came at the high, high, high price of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, some people... They worry about what? The cost of being a Christian. <laughs> but I would say to you, I would say to anybody that the cost of being a Christian is nothing compared to the cost of not being a Christian. And to become a follower of the way of Jesus, all we have to do is repent and believe. And I know that word repentance, it can feel like a heavy word, but it's not a heavy word. All repentance means is turning away from the self-destructive and others harming behaviors that we know are prohibiting the full flourishing of our life. And turning toward God. The only thing, again, that we bring to the equation is faith. And faith is trust. Faith is trust that God will be who he says he will be. And every one of us, listen, here's the, the, the interesting thing about faith is all of us exercise faith. If you don't have faith in the living God and the God of the Bible, you have faith in something. Let me tell you something. It is an act of faith to drive a car in Atlanta. Okay? It is an act of abundant faith to get on 285. Like you have to know that you are walking in the anointing of God to go from the northwest to the northeast side of this city. That's an act of faith. We all have faith in something. When I didn't believe that God was real, guess what? That was faith. I staked my life on believing that there was no God. I based my life on it as an act of faith. How can I say that? Because I couldn't travel the universe and prove that there wasn't a God. I couldn't hop up to Saturn and peek under the rings and say, oh, are you under there? Like I, I had no way to prove or disprove God's existence. And so for me to say that there was no God was actually me acting on faith. So we all have faith in something. 
And the invitation is to have faith in the living God that changes everything through the work of Jesus. And that we can be assured of that. So not only the evidence, right? And not only the work of Jesus, but there's also the witness of the Holy Spirit. That's the third component. The witness of the Holy Spirit. Can I go back to that analogy one more time? If you ask me, how do you know you're married? Well, the first thing I will point to is my evidence. A life sentence that I joyfully serve. Okay? I will point to an event. There was a day and a time on a Thursday in Ottawa, Tennessee, that I said, I pledge my life to you, and you pledge your life to me. There was an event. But I can also, I can also point to nearly two decades of an experience of having been married to this person. And if you ask me, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, first I can point to the evidence of the word of God. And then I can point to the event of Jesus' death and resurrection. And then lastly, I can point to now decades of experiencing a relationship with him. In fact, in that verse we read earlier together from Revelation 3.20, where Jesus is knocking on the door and wanting to come in, the relevant question is, how does he come in? He comes in by his spirit. He comes in by his spirit. In fact, in John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, a religious leader, he says that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going. But you believe that it's real. Why do you believe that it's real? Because you see the impact of what it does. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. No, we can't see the Holy Spirit. We don't know where the Holy Spirit is coming or going on any given day. But what we see is the impact of the witness of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people who have come to trust in God. And that requires that we experience him to see that impact. In fact, maybe over the last couple of weeks, you've experienced the Holy Spirit in new ways in your alpha small groups. Maybe you're here in Water Place today or joining us for renovation online because the Holy Spirit has been at work and you feel a stirring in your heart. You feel, you feel this little change that's beginning to happen. And you're trying to put your finger on it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now again, the relevant question would be, well, how does the Spirit change us? Paul tells us in Galatians 5, it's another phonetics lesson for us today, that the fruit of the Spirit... Notice there is no S. The fruit of the, why, why? Why do we put an S on the fruit of the Spirit? You know why and I know why. Because if it's plural fruits, then I can have some and not others. Yeah, I struggle with self-control, but I'm super gentle though. I struggle with goodness, but I got a lot of peace in my life. No, no, no. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. It is a fruit with varying parts. And either you have all or you have none. But you don't have some. 
And that is the notable change that the Spirit does inside of us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the ways that the Spirit begins to change us. Being a Christian doesn't make you better than anybody else, but hopefully it makes you different than you were. In fact, the first thing I noticed, the Holy Spirit changed in me, was how I related to God. I used to believe that God was a distant deity that wound up the world to watch it spin and hope for the best. I did. It changed the way that I related to people, particularly Christians. I thought Christians were annoying and weird and self-righteous. But after I became a Christian... I grew more patience for that type of behavior. Now, I, I began to relate to Christians differently. And I began to enter relationships with other Christian brothers that, that have become as deep and real and revealed as much of myself as any other relationship in the world aside from my marriage. In fact, I began to relate to people in general differently. I began to carry myself with less hostility and more joy. Why? Because the work of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit, produces a subjective experience in our hearts that moves the knowledge from here to here. In fact, I heard an old preacher say one time that this is the longest distance in the universe. Knowing something is true and orienting your life around that truth are two different things. But the Spirit... Romans 8, 16 says, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And in that, the love of God is poured into our hearts by the spirit so that we can experience God, not as a distant deity, not as an uh, unloving judge, not as an uninvolved specter hanging out somewhere in the corner of the universe, but as an intimate caring, loving father. In fact, that type of love is one of the things that I love most about being a part of this community. Here's what I mean. Last story. The, the matter is settled in the Crump House, in case you don't know. It's been an ongoing battle for years. But the trifecta of older women in my house, my wife and my teenage daughters, have resolutely declared that there will be no more babies in our house. I have pled, I have begged, I have cried, I have bribed, I have offered new vehicles, iPhones for just one more. And they're like, no, no. If the three of them were always in this kind of solidarity, they could run the country, I promise you. And so for that reason, guess what? I have to live vicariously through you. And through your babies. And it's a lot of cute babies around here. It's one baby in particular. I don't know where she at right now, but that baby too cute for her own good. I can't take it. Every time I see her, I cry. And what's beautiful is because we have formed this spiritual family in some beautiful ways, a lot of those babies know me and they run up to me, right? Giving off grandpa vibes in my 40s. Right? It's the butterscotch in my pocket. I got these hard candies for you. Right? 
<laughs> Got these hard, come on over here, baby. Get you a piece of hard candy. She ain't got no teeth yet. I'll, she'll be all right. You know, that's what old people say. She'll be all right. So I live vicariously through you guys. And nobody, there are a few. There are a few. I'll call names. Ari is one. Caleb and Rye made me feel super special. But that doggone Lizzie Matlock, whenever she sees me, she comes full speed. And I know what that means. That means Uncle Leon's picked me up. And I pick her up, and she gives me a tight hug on my neck. One time, I don't know if you ever had this happen to you. You ever had a baby pat you on the back? Oh, my Lord. Nobody prepared me for that. Got one arm around my neck, and the other arm's like, And I'd ever spank that baby. I, ever. <laughs> and I share that because I, I really do believe that that is the experience that God wants us to have of him. And that's what it means to be a Christian. To be gathered up in the arms of the living God with a tangible expression of love. And you can be sure of that. Listen, you can be sure of that. That you are held by him. And that he would do anything to make sure that your life flourishes. So my invitation to you today, and I'm out of your way, is a prayer that you can pray if you've never prayed it before. But my suspicion is, my suspicion is that there are several of us in here who are going through our own moments of shaking faith right now. And maybe this is a prayer for you too. For those of you joining online, if you want to comment as you pray this prayer, I think that's fine as well. But they're going to throw it up on the screen. And we're going to pray together these words. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. You can say them in your heart. Thank you that you love me. I now turn away from everything that I know is wrong, all the bad things. Thank you that you died so that I could be forgiven. I put my trust in you and in what you did on the cross and in your resurrection. And now I open the door of my heart and I invite you to come into my life by your spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Last word here for those of you, for those of us rather, who would say that we are Christians. Can I ask you three questions? If you say you're a Christian, do you trust the evidence? Do you trust the word of God? Can you point to an event? Do you believe in the death and the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus? Does the Spirit witness to your transformation through your life? If not, then today is the day to ask the right questions, including asking God to fully and truly transform you. Let's stand and worship.